Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Great to chat to you on Second Captains at the Irish Times as we build up to the start of this year's Six Nations. Scanning the Sunday newspapers at the weekend, I noted that Brendan Fanning, the Sunday Independent, described the Six Nations as the premier annual competition in world rugby, while Stuart Barnes over at the Sunday Times, Murph, described it as a morass of mediocrity. Mm. Personally, I'm going with Brendan Fanning on this one. I'm going yeah. Fanning all the way here, Murph, because yeah, I think... Okay. I really enjoy, maybe it's the nostalgia, maybe it's the faint hope that Ireland can win a Grand Slam, mm. which we have almost every year for the last 10 years. Uh, we have that hope with it actually usually winning it. I really enjoy the whole thing. I get very excited in the lead up, although that optimism is usually punctured somewhere along the way, usually by, say, the middle weekend when I have to watch Italy and Scotland play each other. Is it on the middle weekend, Scotland and Italy? Because that is, usually, it is. That's usually the, the stage. Right in, in the middle when nobody's really paying attention. I can Italy like, ambush the Scots. Yeah, you kind of sit down and you think, you know, I can watch. I can easily watch every single game. <laughs> it's only 15 games. You know, it's not really that many games when you think about it. Yeah. But then Scotland Italy comes on and you're just like, come on. It does wear you down. Life's too much. Short. It's an attritional tournament for the viewer. And yeah. I know what I do. Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to it? I enjoy it immensely. Really? I, I, well, I, I just think they're, they're brilliant occasions. And yeah, like, the rugby is pretty terrible. You know, a good bit of the time. <laughs> but like, you know, the national anthems are brilliant. The anthems are great. Oh, if you to ask me, if you're to ask me about my my real childhood memory of watching the Six, Six Nations, Five Nations, really, when I was watching them as a child, sitting down with my dad, just basically looking at just going, God, the French national anthem, it's brilliant, it's great. National. Watching Ireland streaking out to an early lead, yeah. But, you, but your dad understanding a lot more than you about how this game is going to finish. Yeah. He, he, well, I mean... I, Why isn't I, my dad getting excited here? We're 12-0 yeah. up at home. I, I did pick up on that very quickly. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a very quick learner, a very quick adapter mm. to the whole Ireland do really well for 60 minutes and lose Neil the Francis is on fire in the line-out. You're just yeah. thinking... There's literally no way we can lose this game. The O'Driscoll-Gatland narrative is going oh. to dominate proceedings. You're bored by this, Ken? Um, well... Uh, is, it, is it still on the go? Oh, story? is it still on the go? What's huh, the, the Welsh are shooting their mouths off. Ken. How's the storyline looking now? I mean, well, the, the last, Welsh... Yeah, go on. The last I heard of it 
Warren Gatland had sort of thrown his spade down and was brushing the soil off his earth as he as he uh, strolled back out of the cemetery in which he'd left Brian Driscoll's career. Mm. But apparently the Welsh, off the record, are shooting their mouths off, Ken. They're not too happy that O'Driscoll hasn't put this to bed. I read this, I think this might have been the Sunday Times, I shouldn't... Getting mixed up in my Sunday papers at this stage. Murphy, Some it's kind Tuesday. of undead return. Yeah, no, they're, the, the Welsh players disturbed like, what's all, what's all this crack? Why is O'Driscoll on talk shows talking about this? Why isn't he... I don't know what O'Driscoll is supposed to do to put it to bed necessarily. But mm. um, no, I think it's good. I think it's... Sport. Warren Gatland came over to Ireland to speak on the Late Late Show about this very topic. So saying that Brian O'Driscoll should, you know, end well, it. that was to bury the hatchet. That was that was a clever PR move. By we smoke in peace pipe live on the Late Late yeah. on the Late Late Show. It is so I funny that really we are talking about a manager not picking a player for a team. But listen, Murph, we all got we came into the special show on it. You know, uh, we all partied. Of, I mean, yeah, or we whatever. All I do find it uh, fascinating, though. I must say, I know it's people are getting bored by it at this point, but. We look at sport not just for the actual matches. There are the storylines and the human drama surrounding it. And no matter what happens in that result, uh, in, in that match, there's so many strands coming into it. Even if the O'Driscoll thing hadn't happened, in the, the, the Ireland-Wales rivalry over the last number of years has been heated. I know Gatlin got slated for saying that they hate each other a few years ago, or mm. the Irish team or the team that the Welsh really love to hate. But, you know, next to probably France and England, it's, probably, it's, the best, it's been the best rivalry over the last number of years, I would say. And yeah. this just adds another layer to Well, the, listen, sorry. you know, they're very closely matched teams and on... They straight up don't like each other. And I think I'm pretty certain I've said that phrase on the last five shows that we've done. But for whatever reason, uh, we keep talking about people who straight up don't like each Jerry other. Jerry Thorny and Shane Horgan luckily do like each other, Murph. That's why their on-air dynamic is going to help us dissect the Seamless Six Nations. Seamless. Absolutely. And we're going to talk to Dunica Ryan, Munster's forward, who unfortunately is out injured at the moment, so he's not available for Ireland, but yeah. one of he, our favourite rugby players. Yeah, and he, he played a rather strange role in the Warren Gatland, Brian O'Driscoll. Uh, Farago, I found today. I found out uh, over the last couple of days. Donegal really? Ryan, Donegal Ryan rang Warren Gatland, asking him to send Brian O'Driscoll a Christmas card in November. And Gatland was talking about this at the Six Nations launch last week. That basically Donegal Ryan was the intermediary between the Irish squad and Warren Gatland. And you know, it was this all of this crack over Brian O'Driscoll saying Warren Gatland wasn't going to be on my Christmas card list. Um, well, Brian Driscoll gave Warren Gatlin the Christmas card. That was the thing. Yes, at, uh, in Downing Street. And then mm. uh, Gatlin was asked by Duncan Ryan to send him one back. You know what, Murph? Very strange. I'm interested by that, but I'm afraid enough for listeners will be turned off by that I'm not going to ask Duncan Ryan about that's, the Christmas card. That's fair enough. And you, can, w- you can if you choose to, but... No, I urge you not to ask that question. If O'Driscoll can be classed as an old warrior at this age, at 30, is he 35, O'Driscoll? 35, yes. as of last week. What do we call this man? Five years in the penitentiary. Nine years of parole with a GED, 23 years old. Now I'm a millionaire. I am the American dream. Go kid, go kid, go kid, do the crack. Here's the Bernard Hopkins knockout of Oscar DeLoya in the ninth round. Antonio Tarver was knocked down by Bernard Hopkins. He had to put a glove on the canvas to hold himself up. Pennsylvania, the former undisputed middleweight champion of the world, Bernard, the executioner, Hawkins. 
We're talking to Bernard Hopkins today. We certainly are, Mayor Hopkins. If you don't know his background, he's a Philadelphia native. He spent almost five years in jail in the 1980s before turning his life around through boxing, really, and becoming one of the most successful and certainly the most one of the most durable fighters in the world. He's a light heavyweight these days. He, of course, is a world champion, as he generally is. Uh, he holds the IBF belt. He's lined up. This is why we're talking to him. He's going to fight the WBA champ. He hopes to then gather up the rest of the titles, culminating in a unification bout on his 50th birthday when he'll become the undisputed light heavyweight champion. He's one of our favourite guests ever, and we're really looking forward. Not short of confidence is our B-Hop, if you're familiar with our interviews with him in the past, so looking forward to chatting to him today. And another of our all-time favourites will be on the show on Thursday, Jerry Eisenberg. He's mm. one of the great figures of American sports writing. One of only, I think, three people, Murph, who have been to each of the 48 Super Bowls. This is Super Bowl 48, and there are three that have been at the 47 previous so far, ones, yep. and he's very much looking forward good to go for Super Bowl 48. Really, really going to be a good chat with Jerry Eisenberg, along with US Murph, on the show on Thursday. And if that's all not good enough news for you, wait until I tell you that from next weekend, yeah. you're aware of this news, but I'm going to bring it to our listeners' attention. From next week, Tuesday's edition of Second Captains at the Irish Times, which you're listening to right now, along with Tuesday's Second Captains football, moves to Mondays. We've gotten sick of waiting until are, are Tuesday. Are we going to continue to call it the Tuesday? No, no, no. We'll change, we'll change that, that and everything. Yeah, that's yeah, probably, yeah. That's probably, that's probably, we should call it the Monday second captain. I, I see that look in your eyes in the office on Monday, Ken. You're just, you're tearing at the... Must oh, broadcast Need to news. get out. So much happening at the weekend. So we're yeah. going to let you loose now on Mondays. How do you feel about it? Nice and early as well. We'll get the shows out real early. I'm incredibly excited about it. Right. Probably this is how Copernicus felt when he realised that the Earth actually was moving around the sun rather than the other way around. I imagine that uh, he, just too, experienced this, a similar a sense of the, I suppose, a, a paradigm shift. Mm. So just one day, just moving a day. Early. Yeah, that's not going nuts here. I mean, it's not the sun going around the earth, not the earth going around the sun. I mean, I think you're overblown. It's, I mean, we're all excited, Ken, but I mean, <laughs> Copernicus? You had to bring Copernicus into this? So two Again shows, with the Copernicus. Two yeah. shows will be out on Monday from next week with all the best reaction at the weekend sport. And we'll have our usual two shows on Thursdays. First up today, let's talk Six Nations with Shane Horgan and the rugby correspondent here at the Irish Times, Jerry Thornley. Paul O'Connell, Jerry, was in the paper today in the Irish Times with Don McRae saying that the Irish team is just as good as the one that won the Grand Slam in 2009. And he says he feels really confident about our chances this time around. Would you agree? Um, the proof will be over the next seven weeks. Uh, then again, in '09, the team came into the campaign from a fairly low ebb in the autumn, um, scratching around for World Cup ranking points, squeezing past Argentina in an arm wrestle, um, having had suffered something of a bloodless coup against the All Blacks, I think it was. So it was a grim enough autumn. And then they had that famous meeting and came out and beat France in their opening game. Looking through talent-wise, I would say if Sean O'Brien was there, that would definitely be the case. But it's hard to imagine that sh- the team is quite the same without Sean O'Brien. It'd be fascinating to see how Joe Schmidt goes about um, filling that huge void because Sean O'Brien just does things that no other player in Irish rugby can do in terms of giving a side go-forward momentum and big plays at key moments, busting tackles and just that strong go-forward carry that he gives a team that very few players around. I mean, Sean O'Brien would be one of the few contenders for a World, world 15 coming from Ireland. I would venture to Keane Healy's the other one, so his his fitness and well-being over the next seven weeks is going to be key, as is Paul's. 
As is Johnny Sexton's as usual. As didn't is mention Brian O'Driscoll there. See, and I'm just thinking back to 2009. I guess the two key things that happened that year were no injuries or very few none, injuries, virtually none. none. And, yeah, and Brian and last year 14. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and maybe a limited enough kind of a game plan. But Brian O'Driscoll carrying us over the line in a, yep. in a number of games. Can O'Driscoll still do that? Um. One or two columns, one in particular, and others have tried to make a career out of um, forecasting the end of Brian O'Driscoll's career, and they've all failed miserably to date because he keeps defying these forecasts of the end is nigh. I've long since learned I'm just never going to write the guy off till he's finished because he's such a proven big game player and he has got so much credit in the bank from what he's done for Irish rugby over Even the years. Even though his form hasn't been great. Been almost anonymous, been really subdued, really quiet. But I just have a hunch that when the Scottish game comes, and particularly when the Welsh game comes, he'll roll back the years. We'll see, but he certainly he certainly is worthy of getting a shot at it, put yeah. it that way. Shane? I think we're in big trouble if he doesn't have uh, a good Six Nations. I think it's a, it's a key role. 13 is a key role anyway. Um, Brian O'Driscoll is a key player for Ireland, just from a, from a spiritual point of view even. But also, if you look at um, how they change up that 13 slot, and it's, it's obviously an issue going forward. But if you were to, to, to see if something happened to Brian, this Six Nations, I think it, it weakens the team in a huge way. We don't have a ready-made replace, replacement. If you look at Cave, Marshall, Marshall um, McFadden, um, I don't think they're, uh, they're naturally suited to, to sit alongside Gordon Darcy. Um, so I think we need Brian to play his best. I, I just have a feeling, feeling that he's, he, it's going to be burning burning away at him to perform well. He hasn't played as well as he should have been playing or he can play in the last um, number of weeks. But that generally for me um, means that something big is in the post and I reckon we might see it on, on, uh, against the Scots. One thing we do have in common with 2009 is a new coach and yes, a proven coach. Very common denominator. This man is uh, Joe Schmidt. We uh, hear more and more about the sort of technical detail mm-hmm. that, he, that he goes into. I guess we're quite familiar with this at this stage. I think it's generally accepted now, Jerry, that that Australia game in November, I think a lot of people, certainly outside the camp, would are, are saying now that it's, it's almost taken for granted that really uh, there was so much detail that the players were trying to take on board that everybody forgot about the physical part of the game. You would assume that, that that's not going to happen again, certainly not in the Six Nations. No, and who knows what happened in the second week, but it certainly... They rediscover that physicality, that emotion that every Irish team has to bring to the pitch. Munster have been doing it for years and all the other provinces now do, particularly when they go into Europe. Um, the problem is that if you become too dependent on an overlined on it, that you, it's very hard to back it up. The French are a classic example of that. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a huge emotional performance against England on Saturday night. <clears throat> but whether they back it, off, back it up over the course of the next six weeks or so is another point. That's why they've never won a World Cup. It's probably why Ireland have... Only won, won Six Nations or one Championship title since 1985. It's a poor return, given the quality of the <coughs> players they've had. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I would have thought that they got the balance right against the All Blacks, that maybe Judgment maybe even learned a little bit about the Irish and an Irish team and send them into battle and what's required. It looked as if Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll were given more of a head in the last 24, 48 hours before the All Blacks came. They got the detail and the emotion absolutely spot on. And the challenge for him now will be reproducing that over on fairly re- repetitive occasions, not least six days after Scotland when playing Wales. But I think it's doable, and I think that Schmidt, um, the players believe in him. He has proven his methods work very successfully with Leinster. It looked as if they changed. he changed minds there as much as attitudes. Not only did he make them pass, catch and score better and, and improve them technically and 
exposing defensive flaws and oppositions, which seems to be a real forty of his finding weaknesses. He's just an unbelievably intelligent, clever and astute and devoted student of the game as a coach. And players follow him. More often than not, he seems to be right. <laughs> they believe in him. And... Uh, yeah, the whole impetus from having a new coach, we saw what happened in 2009 from a new coaching ticket, a really good coaching ticket, and the impetus it gave the team. And it's hard not to get swept away on the whole Joe Schmidt factor. It's funny, Shane, you would think that all coaches would have this attention to detail that people talk about with regards to Joe Schmidt, but it seems like even some of the players who've been around a long time are coming out now and saying that they've been blown away since being in camp by what Schmidt has given them, the sort of specific feedback on, on how to improve their own games and how to improve the team games. Yeah, um, it's not unusual though. Players go through their whole careers and they don't seem to get much better. And there's only been a couple of occasions um, throughout my playing career that I thought a coach has really brought me on and developed me. And, and Joe Smith was one of those. The balance really for him is getting, you know, being technically correct and, and mentally getting the players mentally right. And he seems to be able to do the two of them. Uh, it, and it's really important. He's also uh, served well by it being. Um, him being a new voice and that is really important and, the, the, and there's a freshness also the idea that um, the performance against New Zealand off the back of you know the idea of players being technically overloaded uh, against Australia I don't actually reckon I don't really buy that um, you shouldn't be technically overloaded with the amount of, of information you were given you shouldn't have taken your eye off the ball, ball. I think it was, a, it was a bit of an excuse but everything's been recalibrated now uh, off the back of the New Zealand performance. So also, Joe is well able to create a really nice environment. He, that's what he does. Although he can be you know, very ruthless, he can be uh, very pinpointed in his critique and, and um, demanding of players, but he also creates a really good environment to be in. Uh, Leinster was a, a really, was a, as a working environment, it, you know, it couldn't be beaten the time I was there under Joe, and he'll bring that to Ireland as well. So when you have a trust in the technical side of a, of a coach, it's great, but it's not enough. You actually also have to, you know, have that emotional investment. What in did him happen and, against the Australia well. then, Shane? If you think that it was just an excuse that he was taking, that everyone was trying to take on all this information, it sounds like um, what they just didn't front up. It was, it, 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 they, I, don't th- I don't think. I don't think right from the start that they were they were mentally there and, and mentally uh, invested in the game, um, you know, and they might have only been a couple of percent off, and that's all it takes. And then, you know, they, there was a couple of kicks missed, and there was no m- momentum built. But if you look at the way they were carrying against New Zealand and the way they were carrying against Australia, uh, I just think there was no there was no comparison to the way they were doing it. And yeah, they might have had a lot of thrown against them, but even uh, thrown um, at them. But even against Samoa, there wasn't that same. You know, there wasn't the intensity in the carry. There wasn't that all out, um, no respect for your body, um, flying into rook, flying into every carries, massive work rate that you you expect from Joe Smith's teams. And I just think it took a it takes a little bit um, to, to to bed that in. And players may have thought that we have a new technical coach. Um, this is what Joe Smith's all about. So um, it's about me being in the right position. But I don't think they realise that Joe is as much about the, the, you know, the mental and emotional aspect of rugby as he is about the technical. Because of all sports, rugby doesn't work one without the other. The issue with all of this is that we're basing a lot of our analysis here, Jerry, on 
November on three matches in November mm-hmm. I mean th- how much can we take from those games looking into the Six Nations in terms of what both you and Shane have been talking about here which is trying to marry a technical approach with uh, a high emotional intensity and by dint of that achieving a certain level of consistency mm. which is I think what Shane is talking about as well and it's been a notoriously difficult thing for Irish teams to achieve I mean I was thinking about this yesterday that the Heineken Cup format suits Irish mentality because it's Couple of matches break, couple of matches break, couple of, and then knock out even better. Break one match, break one match. The Six Nations is not like that. It doesn't afford little respites and then peaking again and respites and peaking, which suits the Irishman. Also, the Heineken Cup, you can afford to lose a game. Um, you can't so much afford to lose a game or two in the Six Nations. Certainly, scuppers any chance of a Grand Slam and it seriously dents your chances of winning the title. And the 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 fascinating aspect, the many fascinating aspects to watching Ireland un- unravel in the course of the next seven weeks is whether Joe Schmidt and his coaching staff and the players can achieve the level of consistency that so often eluded Irish teams. I mean, they were very consistent in the 2000s. Let's be fair about it. They were always in the top two or three. But generally, it's been it's be- it's gone back a little bit in the last few campaigns and they haven't achieved anything like that. Can see. I mean, for a team to beat Wales, draw with France and lose to Scotland and Italy, even allowing for the ridiculous injury toll was crazily inconsistent. Now, looking at November as a yardstick, you would say the old problems might still be there, given the performances against Samoa, and particularly Australia were so flat by comparison to the performance against the All Blacks. And just on that, I would say, I would say that the All Blacks' performance was classically set up from an Irish point of view. There was the shame of the performance the week before, a sense of embarrassment, allied to a genuine sense of fear, given the opposition where... I'd beaten Ireland 60 nil on the last occasion they met, were the number one side in the world. Ireland had never beaten them over 100. It was the perfect underdog, let's have a lash mentality. Now, I'm not saying it was that simplistic or trite an approach by Ireland. I'm just saying that all the ingredients were there for, in many ways for a big performance. And now, come to a Scotland game, for example, an open game, and we have the same old Sunday afternoon factor. Will the crowd be in 15 minutes before kickoff? Should we have the hacker before every match if we can get the Irish crowd into their seats <laughs> 10 or 15? These are all the little factors that work, coupled with what Shane said about the momentum of a promising early start. And then, of course, it's reproducing that another four occasions in the six weeks after that. It's generally proved an elusive thing for Ireland. I'm teams. just picturing the Scots doing the hacker. I thought it's an <laughs> interesting mental image to try and wrap it Maybe Ireland should invent something. Something along those lines. Jerry, what do you think? Uh, Shane, what do, what do you think about that? Consist- uh, in a way, are those big performances against New Zealand and Australia in the World Cup, are they actually the outliers? Because I suppose we like to think that that's our level, but we just can't always reach it. Is there an argument that actually that's, our level is the lower level and the odd time we play above ourselves? At the moment, they are our outliers, and that's what's going to be interesting um, uh, about Joe Schmidt. I think there's no doubt about his technical ability. That's that's a given. I think you know that's ticked. It's can he recreate um, the level of emotional investment in a game that Ireland had against New Zealand? And at the moment, our sample group is too small. We're you know we're, what's newest in our memory is, is is you know is what we're taking it from that incredible game against New Zealand. Really fresh in our memory, great. But as Jerry said there, the motivation for that game it was made for Ireland and embarrassment and I, I know this embarrassment for Irish rugby players is a great motivator you know the potential to be to be embarrassed the, the fear of being embarrassed you know that can produce some of the, the best I think we some of the, some of the best performances that we've ever seen from Irish teams have come off the back of that that embarrassment and fear factor isn't there for the majority of the team in the Six Nations I'd say almost any team in the Six Nations to the level it was against New Zealand 
So the Joe Smith sample group at the moment is really small. We've got three games, one of them where we had a a great, um, you know, emotional display and uh, the players were where you wanted them to be, you know, in the physicality stakes. And two, I think we we weren't there. And in both those games against Australia and Samoa, you could say that they went in thinking that, especially against uh, Samoa, but also against Australia because of the way Australia had performed in the summer, that they thought, actually, there's no chance of us getting embarrassed here. Um, there's not the level of fear that there should be. So if we play our general game, we'll get over. And that didn't happen against Australia. That increased um, the momentum and the necessity for a huge emotional performance against New Zealand. Uh, and that's what occurred. Now, going to the Six Nations to, to try and create that and try and create it through, through every game is, is, uh, is difficult. You know, maybe it's impossible, but there is a certain level in some of those games that you have to get coupled with the uh, technical side of things to, to win every game. Shane, isn't that why we, we are entitled to be so excited about the Joe Schmidt era because of what he achieved with Leinster, that Leinster became almost un-Irish I mean, I'm thinking back over the years, Munster used to bring an awful lot of emotional and energy and intensity to their games. It took them to Heineken Cup finals. It couldn't get them over the line. They eventually had to become technically better and score tries to win finals. And it was a long learning curve for them. Leinster, we all know what you went through. But Joe, I mean, I think Michael Checker brought a lot of emotional energy and intensity to, to, to Leinster. But then, then Joe added to it with technical skill levels that were probably higher with that Leinster team under Joe Schmidt than in any other Irish team we've known. And that if he can yeah. start bringing this to the Irish team, an Irish team will not become so reliant on emotional energy and will have the technique and the skill levels to pull through in tight affairs. Look, the best team in the world by a distance are the All Blacks. And who are the most skillful technical team they bring to every game the All Blacks do? It's no coincidence. Well, listen, what, what Ireland will have under Joe, and this, this is exciting, that I think they'll be tactically uh, correctly prepared for every game they play. Yeah. I don't know a better mind in rugby, and I know a lot of uh, <laughs> coaches at international level that aren't anywhere near the level tactically and tactically that Joe was at. But set the technical, um, the technical um, idea aside for a moment. The tactics, yes, he can have a huge influence on that and he can make sure his players implement it. But the, tec- the technique of the individual skills is something that he's not going to have the same level of control over. And that's a real, real concern for him because that was, you know, along with the tact- tactical overall planning side, the technique was a huge um, uh, issue for him. And he dealt with that day in, day out to a micro level, which he can't do now as an international manager. And Jay, he- does that explain why he's so reliant, heavily reliant on Leinster players to begin with? I think so, but what, you'll, what he'll do, and I know what he is doing, is he's coaching the players in Irish camp to go back into their own um, provinces then and address the skill deficits that they have. And I don't think there's been other there's been another Irish coach who's been quite as strong on that and can get into a player's head and actually give them the exact detail of uh, what they need to do to get in the Irish team because if you look at his selections for Leinster um, and he actually even his his three selections so far with um, with Ireland that he is he has recognised what players need to to do he, to be in the team he's told them to do that that when they fail to do it he hasn't picked them and when they have done it they've got in so that thing makes things very simple and when you see that when you see that method of selection that criteria before you. 
you listen up to what the coach tells you and you start working on it in your province every day. If we're being optimistic about the overall look of this competition, Jerry, is mm-hmm. there an argument that both England and Wales might be trying to develop a, a new side of play or at least add a few strings that are bow with the World Cup in mind? Uh, and maybe those countries can, to an extent let one Six Nations go without winning it or having a go at it. That might allow us to slip in. <clears throat> um, perhaps more so England, less so Wales. Wales have a huge prize at stake, becoming the first team ever to win three titles outright in a row. That's, that's something that was even beyond the legends of the 70s, and they would love to achieve that. So I think they're very... And it's a relatively experienced, settled side, the core of the side that have been delivering them success in the last two Six Nations. But they are disastrous against the Southern Hemisphere nations and they would love to win a World Cup, I'm sure. So is there... uh, I I don't always buy into this thing that you have to constantly be thinking about the World Cup I would have thought that actually if any team needs to add more to the game, it's actually more England. Because you look at what Wales did in the last World Cup, but for one refereeing decision, whether you agree with it or not agree with it, probably cost them a place in the final and they would have deserved it on form against a very jittery All Blacks team in the final. I mean, they were a much better team than France, England, or even Ireland, let's be fair, or Scotland. They were the best team in Europe at the last World Cup, and the core of the same team. I would argue that England's brand of rugby, even though they got a slightly fortuitous win against Australia in the autumn, um, and even looking at their game against the All Blacks, they play a brand of rugby that's very quintessentially English. It's very powerful, it's very direct, they have a huge pack, all the set pieces will function. Their defence will be watertight, very aggressive. They'll kick their goals. They'll have a lot of territory, a lot of possession. They'll win the majority of their games. And they're probably good enough to win a Six Nations title this year or next year. But no way will that win them a World Cup, in my view, because they don't take enough risks in the ball. What decided that game against the All Blacks were two offloads in the wide channels by Kieran Reid and Man Nanu. And England never moved the ball into those areas to even allow themselves to make take those chances on the ball. And I thought if anybody of the two needs to add more of an X-factor, it would be more England. I think Wales have an X-factor in individual players. Shane, Wales had a bad November series. Their club scene is imploding. Are they set up for a Grand Slam, so? <laughs> well, listen, every year I say that there's no way that they can snap these players it's going to snap it into a winning mentality. And you talk to any, any coach and they'll say, uh, you know, you can't lose, 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 lose and uh, not be competitive and then just, you know, jump in and expect, you know, to snap his fingers. The thing about uh, in Gaelic football is around championship. You can't be, you know, losing all your games and then just expect to snap into it for championship. That's the, the mantra that you hear from so many coaches. Um, but somehow... You know, for the last number of years, and almost for as long as I can remember, Welsh players just seem to be able to do that. They peak for the Six Nations. Um, their their club seems to be Wales. It seems to be real. You know, and that's what international uh, coaches try to recreate. They I, I, they like to recreate the idea, you know, of a club Ireland or team Ireland, team Wales, team England. Wales have been the best at doing that and they've done it for a good number of years now. Their players seem most comfortable, they seem happiest and they perform best when they play for Wales. Again, it makes, but it still doesn't make any sense to me. I'm looking at them going, how can you change? How can you perform so poorly and so idly for your, for your region and then turn it on for Wales. Um, the great example of that is I watched last year at the start of the year, and it being a Lions year, I watched Warburton play for um, Cardiff against um, Leinster in, in Dublin. And he was, he was a shambles. Like his work rate was really poor. He was standing out the wing. He wasn't stealing much ball. He didn't carry. And I said, this guy is, you know, he's nowhere near where he should be at. But, you know, by the time the Six Nations came around, he was flying. And again, in the summer, he was flying for the Lions. So their mentality is different. Um, 
but that said, I, you know, they're, they're missing um, now their second row. Um, Evans has, has been banned for the entire Six Nations. He's been the key player for them uh, when they've won championships uh, and won Grand Slams. Um, they've a number of players that are now unsettled and haven't played much rugby abroad. And they just don't look quite the team that they did last year or indeed the year before. Uh, but that said, I'm expecting to um, have egg all over my face by the end of the championship. Yeah, and France are probably the opposite. I don't know if a team France exists, certainly in rugby terms, Jerry. But a home win over England to start Well, it might exist for the first game because they've had two weeks in camp together, which they never had in the build-up to um, the opening Six Nations match. And, you know, they roast beef because they hate them so much and they, they can almost want it too much at times. But there'll be huge passion and desire. Pascal Pape is that kind of leader. He, even money, he'll be in a scrap within the first five minutes. It'll set the tone. It's a Saturday night game in Stade de France. Even the uh, bourgeoisie, as Bernard Laporte used to call them, might be up for the game. They generally are on a Saturday night and it's England. And it would be no surprise to me if they produced one huge emotionally charged performance first game up. Mm. And I think they've got Italy at home a week after. So they actually could be the early pace setters and then become clear favourites. And that's the last point at which you should back them because I don't know if they can sustain it over the the hope of the five games. There's been no sign of any kind of just definitive brand or template of rugby under Philippe Saint-André. It's very old school, as he was with Toulon. We've heard the stories coming out of Toulon via Felipe Contempomi and Shane and others that you know it was a very much territorial-based game. You didn't take a chance in your own half. You played in the opposition territory and you went for three points first chance you could get. And they... They do have one or two brilliant players in the likes of Wesley Fofana for sure, but they're chronically short of halfback. I mean, it could be that uh, Dusan starts at 10, who's a converted nine, on the basis of a couple of games for Toulouse when Boxes and McAllister was injured. And therein lies the rub. They've only three French qualified players starting number 10s in the top 14. And they brought back, back Fra- Francois Tranduc. And even Francois Tranduc must assuredly know that Philippe Saint-André and Patrick Lazarusquet have absolutely no faith in the fella at all. And his confidence is shot with Team France. And he's their backup 10. And I think that and a myriad of other problems, not least the absence of Thierry Doucetoir, who's as key to them, even if he is a fairly battered player at this stage, he's as key to them as Sean O'Brien is to Ireland or one or two others are, Ian Evans. I mean, everybody's missing one or two key men. But they really are missing their Richie McCaw factor, you know, their, their leader. And I just think over the course of five games, that will tell a toll against them. Back to our own opening game against Scotland and team selection for that. We've already seen, I think people were surprised with Zebo being omitted from the, from the mm. spot. But yeah, yeah, I suppose he's not back long from injury. In terms of the actual team selection, we're looking at the wings, I guess, open side flanker. Yeah, that's uh, maybe it. Maybe that, that be it? I would think so. I mean, it's conceivable that 13 of the starting 15 against the All Blacks will pitch up to end again for kickoff against the Scots. And you couldn't have an awful lot of quibbles with that, based even on form since. But don't, knowing Joe Schmidt, he could well throw a rabbit out of the hat, like, for example, maybe Owen Redden at nine. You know, he often used to prefer Redden to boss for home games, along with one or two other signature selections. I don't remember coach ever doing this. It was almost football-like, you know what I mean? Instead of, you'd only play one holding midfielder at home and two away. He seemed to have this view that he would play boss in the away games and Redden at home, and he could maybe take the view to start with a really high tempo against Scots. But one would imagine it would be Murray because he's so good around the fringes. And those other positions? I would love to see Tommy O'Donnell play. I just can't wait to see this guy in an Irish number seven jersey. I think he... I, I, I think he's been destined to wear it for a good year now. He's a proper seven. And I think he's quick. And I think he gives um, a ball-carrying dimension that is closer to filling the void. Nobody can fill the same void. He's not the same kind of 
contact collision breaker of tackles that O'Brien is, but he give him any kind of gap and he can't, he's, he does have acceleration. He's a quick player and I'd like to see him in the mix, but I suspect they might go Chris Henry. And the wings, I would imagine, just based on form and fitness, the two most obvious ones left standing are Luke Fitzgerald, who's having a great season, and Dave Carney. Shane, how does that look to you? Yeah, it's not a million miles off. Um, I'm really excited about Tommy O'Donnell as well. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, I think he's going to, and he's going to play a bit for Ireland in the future. I think Jordy Murphy was probably an outside bet um, a couple of weeks ago, but didn't have a fantastic game against Cash. It was obvious that he still needs a couple of games at High End Cup level. So, you know, maybe two or three rounds at High End Cup uh, um, matches under his belt, and he would have been really knocking on the door. But I, I think it's Chris Henry um, at seven. And I, I don't think he's going to let Ireland down you know the, his work rate in particular and that work rate of that back row in uh, Ulster is phenomenal and he will bring something uh, to it he's very dogged than ground he just has to make sure that he keeps his head because he can be a bit of a penalty machine um, when he's not fully focused and you couple that with O'Mahony who can give away penalties as well you know um, uh, Ireland could be punished um, severely if they um, go down that road so they'll have to be very focused on that um, the wingers I think Luke Fitzgerald's been the best winger in the country since he came back um, it looks like he'll probably match up with Carney um, and Redden has been in sensational mm. form um, for the last number of weeks he's looked like aside from Luke I think he's looked like uh, Leinster's best back um, he's constantly sniping really good tempo but I, I presume that he, um, Joe will continue and go on go with um, uh, the Conor Murray Conor Murray sorry yeah. at nine um, maybe maybe a sneaky little one in the second row um, a mix up there I, I think that um, you know Ulster have been very strong in this area I know Henderson has played um, a bit of back row he's been injured but I listen I think he's a fantastic player I'd love to see him get game time um, Dan Toohey as well I think he's you know he works so hard for Ulster he does his job very well very committed huge workload as well um, so I think you know, he'll be putting up his hand and really looking to um, get uh, a starting uh, starting uh, in the starting lineup with uh, with Paul O'Connell. But uh, it it is uh, Devon's toners, and and Devon was actually he was phenomenal against uh, New Zealand uh, in the autumn. He was it was a huge performance. His form has been up and down since then. He's had a couple of very strong games, but he had a weak game uh, in Castra. So it's about him finding his level and just staying on it and if he can stay at his top level of his game I think he's there by right and uh, he should he should partner Paul but if he does dip and this is you know certainly something that Joe will um, will uh, press on him if he does dip there's two excellent players there ready to step in at any stage Our very quick quest answers to the following two questions Shane first of all who's going to win the Six Nations and where will Ireland finish? Um, I'm going to be positive because I always am before Six Nations and I'm positive about this team. Um, I think Ireland are going to, um, Ireland could win the Six Nations right. and um, that's about it then. Yeah, that's just one answer required. Well done, Jerry. So I'm going to have to give two then because yeah, I don't yeah. want to saddle Ireland with this as well. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, no Sean O'Brien and Ireland not having won in London and Paris in the same year since 1972. It's always the biannual itinerary they struggle with. For all the Joe Schmidt factor, and hey, I'm aboard, it's just a lot to ask, um, I'd say, without Sean O'Brien as well. And it, so many key players have to stay fit, the ones I mentioned earlier. Um, I'd be surprised if France won it. 
I wouldn't be terribly surprised if England won it. But I just feel that Wales, Adam Jones, not really de- developing this season. He, he struggled this season with the new scrum laws. No Ian Evans, Sam Warburton maybe not there for the start. Dan Lee did not get much games for Racing Metro. Mike Phillips, Jamie Roberts, not an awful lot of rugby under their belts. They're just set up first. You know what I mean? They just are. Just, it's the classic Welsh. It's, it's the way it's become. I... We were talking about the contracts earlier. If I was one of the regions, I would be quite happy for Sam Wharton Burton to set a trend with central contracts. They only play for Wales anyway. They just turn up for their regions. So I just have a hunch that even if they lose in Dublin, they might rebound and win in Twickenham and beat France at home and end up with four wins and edge Ireland out of the title. So Wales win and Ireland second, yep. did you say? Okay, we'll leave it at that. Shane Horgan, Jerry Thorny, great stuff. Thanks, thanks to you both. Cheers. Cheers. Saturday, February 1st is Change Your Bank Day. A time to ask if you are paying too much for your current account. At KBC, everyone can bank for just €2 a month. That's the price of a coffee. Just use your KBC debit card for purchases or cash back for free and avoid those annoying ATM charges. Oh, and did we mention you also get free internet and mobile banking? And before you ask, yes, your bank could be charging you for all these. Other fees and charges apply. Visit changeyourbank.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop in for a coffee at any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Two euros a month is based on a quarterly fee of six euros. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Hair dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Oh, not too far off. Two predictions for Ireland there. Jerry just about holding back, not yeah. wanting to keep the pressure on Joe Schmidt. Murph, you can read loads more from Jerry. I should say this right now in the Six Nations Supplement, which is free with the Irish Times this Wednesday. Great. Also, a, a, a supplement that's with tomorrow. And how much does that supplement cost? It's free. It's free with the newspaper. Oh, yeah, but you, you pay for so you pay for the paper, but then how much do you no, pay? No, Murph, you've got, what are we, 28 pages? 32, what? 28 pages, what? extra free, Murph, all top quality rugby analysis. And if that's not enough for you, I know you're blown away by that one, mm-hmm. the fantasy rugby competition has started up on irishtimes.com forward slash fantasy rugby. So get checking your Sergio Parise rook clearing statistics. I know that's what Simon Hick is doing right now. Right now. He keeps what? an eye on that kind of thing just to be sure. We're joined now by Munster's Dunica Ryan, who's unavailable to Joe Schmidt at the moment because of a knee injury, but is uh, happily available to talk to us right now. Dunica, great to talk to you as always on the show. How soon can I ask you, will you be back from the injury? Are you going to be available for the later stages of the Six Nations? Um, I, I suppose really from my own, most like the bone perspective, I was, I thought we'd be back an awful lot sooner and um, things didn't go according to plan that I would have liked. So I think uh, I'm just going to try and get back down from Munster, to be honest, and uh, take one week at a time because otherwise if I start putting deadlines on things, uh, I'd be really, it's more of a kind of a double negative really, be kind of compound uh, a disappointment by not achieving a deadline. Like I've had a few deadlines before and I haven't achieved them yet. Um, so I think I suppose it's better just take one week at a time and get back there for Munster and uh, let the rest take care of itself really you're, yeah you're probably fed up talking about the injury I'm, sh- I'm sure it can get like no, that no, when you're no, playing no, yeah no, 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 I'm just wondering Dunica, you said you've missed a few deadlines is that just that it, it, it's been a bit more of a complicated injury than was expected or why is it that you've missed deadlines yeah, I suppose there's no one really to blame. It's um, it's nobody's fault that I'm, I'm injured, like except except my own. So um, you know, I've I've done everything I can, and um, I probably maybe you know I would have probably the proper young game. I probably maybe rushed it back probably a bit too soon for my for myself. But uh, 
you know, such as the, the drive to get back and play for Munster and, um, you know, and obviously help out the lads. And um, that's, that's basically it's, um, the mind was was, was uh, trying to overcome the will uh, of um, the pain of the injury. But unfortunately, the injury went out long term. So uh, I've got to take, take my beating at the moment <laughs> and let it heal properly and, and be done with it. We've been talking about the appeal of the Six Nations earlier in the show and whether it still has that same appeal as I mean, everyone kind of grew up watching it and I guess when you watch it through a, a child's eyes it's always a very exciting tournament you've actually gotten the chance to, to play in it in recent years does it still hold the same appeal for players as it would have uh, in the early days? Oh absolutely yeah it's, um, it's, like, it's like a drug um, it's, you're kind of you're terrified yes you're absolutely so excited and uh you know, like last year, I suppose, I, I, I played through a bit of a shoulder issue and it was because it was such a journey to try and get to play there in the Six Nations. I, I wasn't willing to, to, to let it go for anything and, and that's the sort of drive uh, I think everybody has to try and get to play in the Six Nations. Um, obviously, the old cliche represented your country is the, is the ultimate achievement, uh, but um, the Six Nations does add that added intensity where there is silverware at the end of it and um, obviously having something positive to show from an international career is is the reward so um, that's why it's such a from a player's point of view it is it is one, one of the ultimates up there alongside the World Cup We've got a new coach in place now I don't know just with the injury have you had any dealings or many dealings yet with Joe Schmidt? Yeah I have um, I've met him a few, a few occasions and uh, I had a few training sessions initially and um, I, I've I really enjoyed his training sessions um, they're high intensity um, you know it does put a lot of pressure on guys to know their jobs on the training pitch and analysis on training is is uh, is very high, which is good because I think um, you know you you obviously you, tra- you train the way you play, and um, and that's when you have that added intensity and sharpness. It's um, it's it does, it's not a surprise in the field um, when something happens or you're kind of more alert to things. So it's good it's good to have that um, you know vigor in training sessions, and uh, I think he does bring that. Uh, it's training and obviously it's it's easy to uh, see in the, at the moment a few of the performances of uh, the provinces that's a lot of the good habits I think that those done up in camp has been done in the provinces as well so it's only minute but uh, I think it does make, uh, make a big difference uh, altogether uh, You've spoken about uh, your time off through injury has that, that time away from the game given you uh, you know, uh, uh, enough time to practice on your scary game day faces. Is there a monster training group for that? And <laughs> is it you, Peter O'Mahony, or Paul O'Connell that leads that particular training group? I suppose I have three questions for you there. Um, I don't know. I suppose uh, I, I don't really have a scary game face. Uh, I, uh, I, think, I think I think there is ample <laughs> photographic evidence uh, to the contrary there. I, I've, I've my face. I would compare. I think of a head like a boar's couch, but. Uh, <laughs> I suppose, um, I suppose, I don't really have one. It's probably me concentrating more than anything else. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> don't really, uh, I don't think I make a Halloween mask or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't have really, I haven't really thought about that much. Honest. Yeah, thankfully you're thinking about more important things. Don't I? Paul O'Connell, I uh, saw today saying that he's he feels very confident about the team this year. He feels that they're quite similar to 2009 in where they're at. Um, so it's, yeah. good, it's good to hear this confidence coming from the camp. I mean, you, you have to be that way, but historically, I mean, we've only won one Six Nations title, even with yeah. all the great teams we've had over the last number of years. Is there genuine hope, do you think, that Ireland could win the Six Nations this year? Or with a new coach, do you have to look at things differently? Is it more of a game-by-game thing? Um, yeah, the lads will probably say game-by-game, game and, and obviously that's what you've got to do. Like If you're getting too far ahead of yourself, you're going to drop the ball, really. 
Um, you know, generally, the, uh, we could say last year was optimism was at an ultimate high after beating Wales over there after such a good game. And you probably think, like, you know, you probably, oh, God, we could be thinking we could win this. And obviously, that's always in the back of your mind. But, you know, with injuries, what happened last year is like circumstances changed drastically for us. But, yeah, I think I think on paper, I think Ireland are a fantastic team. Like, uh, that's, and that's, that's, um, that's, very encouraging and a lot to take confidence from that. Um, but you know, you got to rock up in the day and, and got to work together as a team, and and that's the big thing, really. Like you know, England, I think we work really well together as a team, and they have been a lot of core group there together for a while, and it's very hard to break that down, you know. And when you look at the Leinster team for years, they've, they've won successful Heineken Cups um, because of the team that they'd had and we were the same back in, back in 2006 and 8 and that, that team that core team together is, is does help you through those tough um, moments in games and you can wise up an awful lot quicker and uh, so I think the sooner guys can, um, can can gel together like that and get familiar with one another I think you know having the good names in the paper can can be kind of you can see the good performances then in the field, which is the main thing. But I suppose what's encouraging also is last year we had such a we were decimated by injuries, <laughs> and this year I think there's a massive amount of competition involved for positions, which is comforting, I'd imagine, from a squad point of view. Okay, so we're a shoe in for the Grand Slam. Donica Ryan, we we'll leave it there. Listen, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Thanks so much for talking to us. Here's my song, yeah. yeah, those were my words, not Donica's, just to confirm. Mm. That, I, uh, I, Dunica did not actually say I, I, there was a sense of a nervous laughter there from Dunica Ryan at the end he, so I didn't actually say we are going yeah. to he just hung up the phone there and he <laughs> said have those they've just screwed me over there royally that's the headline everyone's going to take but no that's we would never do that to you Dunica we, we would never do that one of the nice guys one of the nice guys of Irish rugby well yeah they're all nice guys oh, you know I mean I don't want to be sitting here choosing favourites you know sure I mean, if, if but, I but this particular rugby player just laughed at one of your questions, so well, that is true. Right now, he's, he's your favourite Irish he's rugby right player, the, right at the very, very top. Ken, what's coming up later on? That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to you, Pax. I'll say it to you now. I'm down 12th field and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? A whole lot to talk about now. David Moyes planning a big clear out. He's he's uh, been thinking thinking about what's been happening about United and he reckons that uh, the players essentially aren't good enough and he's going to clear them out and replace them with better ones. He's mad as hell, Ken, and he's not going to take it anymore. anymore. Um, Tony Kroos might be one of those. We're going to talk a little bit about his uh, situation. Also that of Julian Draxler, who's, uh, I think, the focus of a lot of speculation at the moment uh, over possible moves to Arsenal. And also um, a fascinating insight on into the complex system of third-party ownership that has developed inside the American football. Sounds fascinating mm. and complex. Mm. That's all coming up later in Second Captain's Football. Now, around six years ago, I attended a press conference in London promoting the light heavyweight title fight between Joe Calzaghe and Bernard Hopkins. You might have wondered where I was that day, Murph. That is where I was on that cold January day. Celtic Tiger, Ken. Hopkins wow. was... We all partied. <laughs> Hopkins was 43 years of age at that point and lots of journalists were spending the time asking if he still had the physical capabilities to go toe-to-toe with Calzaghe. Tired by this line of questioning, B-Hop lifted up his top, pointed to his very impressive six-pack and demanded from the journalists to know if they still felt that old Papa Hopkins 
wasn't up to it. That's a kind of attitude he had back then. I'm sure he still has it now. Delighted to be joined by Bernard Hopkins, who is planning over the course next year to unify the world light heavyweight titles and he's going to do so on his 50th birthday if he can take care of all his, of his opponents between now and then just turned 49 a couple of weeks ago so a belated happy birthday first of all Bernard uh, just a question on the unification idea does it really matter anymore I mean, we all grew up watching boxing and we all loved the idea of the undisputed champ that was always the big thing but so many titles these days is it a big deal anymore? The, the thing is uh, if you ask 10 fighters whether they'd rather have the undisputed champion and be the king of that division. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without what despite doing it and proving it, I believe you're going to have the majority saying, "Yeah, I, I, I'm the best in this division." Now, in some cases, it doesn't matter. I mean, in my case, it doesn't matter either way. But if I want to show that I am extremely different and I am that alien, that I'm willing to put my reputation and my legacy on the line and say, now look, you take these gunslingers just knocking everybody out for the truck, banking everything on, and I've proven to y'all before, I didn't took punches and made them out of novice fighters. I got a history of that. Now, some, 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 you know, they might not admit it, but some understand that if you go back, you can't erase those achievements. Then let's see if he can do these things. The thing is, I think that when it comes to that, is that uh, what's more political that most fighters is not in a position of myself to be able to say what I want and make it happen, far as from my end. And 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 you know what that means. You've been around this game. You you seem like a bright guy on the phone. What I mean is the other guys at a light heavy. What I'm saying, not what I mean, that if other guys is with the titles. And I know it's about making money, but I've been in the game making money for many years. So to me, I'm like, yo, I want to prove that y'all are media hype champions. That doesn't mean you can't fight. That doesn't mean you don't have an impressive record. But to me, I never had the voice behind me dressing me up to be something that I'm not. So I want to prove, A, not only having the undisputed opportunity to do it, that not only I'm highly relevant, at 49, that's unique to be even talking on the phone about this, a 49-year-old athlete talking about the unification. You're laughing out the bell, Parker, with somebody else that's trying to do this. But now you got a situation where I'm saying that I call my own shots. That doesn't mean I don't listen to my advisor. That don't listen to my, 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 my promoter, Golden Boy. That don't mean I don't listen to Schaefer or, or anybody else that I look in and have confidence in to give me the right information. And then at the end of the day, they leave it up to me. I have to come to grips, not that I haven't. I have to come to grips 100% every day and every month that everybody is not going to want that knowledge and that control to be able to call a shot to understand the business like Bernard Hopkins. And that makes me unique from Stevenson, Kovalev, and anybody else is because they've got to do what they tell them to do. See, there's a difference between doing something somebody tell you to do under disguise was right for you than somebody saying, I'm going to listen to all my information for the people I trust, and then I'm going to make the, 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 the decision that I make is going to have all these evaluations, and then I'm going to make the decision and live with the good, the bad, and in between out of that. Yeah. That's why things don't get done. It ain't because we don't want to fight each other. It's because other people are looking out for the other agendas, and they don't want to risk their fighter or champion to lose 
which will lose a payday for them and a stigma that they might have on them today. Bernard, that's the politics of that's the politics of it. Yeah, and if you can make your way through those politics and get the fights on, it will be great. But I did see one more um, quote from you recently where you were talking about somehow fighting Floyd Mayweather. Is that right? It was months, yeah, months ago because the, the, the hat got thrown in. Uh, uh, my name got thrown in the conversation from the big wigs, and um, you know I responded in a way of at that particular time. I believe it was uh, last fight, which was a few months back, and the next date is in May of next of this year. Now only in 2004, and I said, wait, wait a minute, a guy that walks around five pounds after our fight never get higher than 185. When I was a middleweight, never got higher than 168. So a guy that's disciplined like myself, I know that's kind of unusual for you when you talk to fighters. They owe you when you sing them. They're 30 pounds heavier. Mm. You give me nine or eight months to get ready, I will make history and you put the cameras on us 24 hours a day. We do all access. They'll see how I do it. I'll hire one of the greatest guys that helped me come from middleweight to light heavyweight, made history, broke Ray Robinson's record because he couldn't do it. Let's fight Tarver and become the first middleweight to light heavyweight champion of the world. I'm about making history. You ever heard of Henry Armstrong? He fought five weight divisions. So my thing is, I'm always a throwback to live in a new world, and they think different. They think different in this world that I know the new world. I know the old world that I live in a new world that sometimes they forget about the Henry Armstrong who fought at five weeks of visits. So I threw my hat in because the question was asked. I'm not chasing nobody. I'm doing fine. And, you know, my thing, situation is good. Whether I do, I don't. But I, you know, have an opportunity to make history. He wants to get 50 wins. Let him fight two other people. I'll be 50 in another 12 months from now. Can he get to the 50 and break Marciano's situation? I think we should name it 50-50. Everybody's all asking 50-50. Can Floyd go 50 undefeated? Can Lenar fight 350 and beat the pound-for-pound best fight in the world? I think it was a good soundbite than what y'all got now. Mm. I mean, would you, would you, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a good sound, but I don't, I don't know how it would work. I don't know how he, I'm still not convinced how. You remind me, you remind me of my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, and I used to explain to her to try to get out of the trouble, and she looked at me and said, hmm, and I knew a butt whooping was coming at the house. She pulled out, no, she pulled out the leather belt, and I was done. Right. But, but, but what I'm saying is, I'm, I, I, I wasn't saying it just to get some publicity. And Richard Schaefer asked me, you know, uh, can I? Because we sit and watch in a fight around the eighth and ninth round, and I'm telling him before the sixth round, I said, man, you got one guy who's a good-looking guy who's going to be better his next fight, but he's bringing a checkerboard to a chess game. I love playing chess. I don't know if you play chess or not, but I know one thing. The pawns are for a reason. The bishops are for a reason. The rook is for a reason. The knight, the knight is for a reason. Of course, the king or queen, you know what that is. It speaks for itself. They got to be protected. Mm-hmm. So I understand that game. So you can't come to a floor of Mayweather. But how many chess players in the game of boxing as athletes? There's very few, just like there's very few teachers in the game of boxing. And we just lost one not too long ago. There was a man in Stewart. But there's a few out there, but it's less than 5%, no matter where you live at, of teachers, not trainers. You can find trainers anywhere. So that's how I feel about that. Sure. I just, I just still would be confused as to how you could get down those those weights at this stage of your career and, and how Floyd Mayweather could come but up and meet you. But, but see, but see, but see you, you, you forget, again, you, you're saying how can somebody come up and do anything. I, I think you should just go and look at history. First of all, you see me come from 160 to 75. Then say, Bernard, you just that great 
and he's not, and you can do that. Then I'll understand. Then you, then you will be submitting to what's true. But you can't, and people can't have the cake and eat it too, and say, how can you do this, and how can he do that? Well, how did the others do it? How did Henry Armstrong, who was 5'4", go up four five weight classes? Google it. You got mainstream media, man. You, you don't have one thing about today's technology. You don't have to believe nobody no more. Just Google it and get your own information. So now we get into this 2014, this new era. Like I said, I'm from the new world. And when people talk about making weight and, and how can you do this and how can you do that? Well, how the hell I went from 60 to 75 and never been to 75, 27 years of my career when I took my first pro, my, my first pro debut and, 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 and jump up two weight classes. Didn't even get to 68. Jump way up to two weight classes and made history. Because when you're special, but you're not given that special title, you're not being promoted as being special, but you prove it down the line by doing the things that you did. 20 defenses, man. I mean, who's going to break in today's world where fighters don't want to lose weight once they make a million dollars? They're not losing no weight no more like they did when they was broke or fighting to get glory. So I'm from the old world, just having to fight in two decades past my, past my era. Think about it. Yeah. Roy Jones is gone. James Tony is gone. Iran Barkley is gone. I can name three more if you want me to go. I can name some in Canada that's gone. But I'm telling you right now that I understand and don't get frustrated by the questions of the new world because I'm considered outdated to them, but they kind of scratch their head to realize that he's still here. He should be gone. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. Are you kidding me? So I don't get frustrated by asking the question, and that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Y'all figure it out. Oh, that's your job to figure out why I'm saying I'm an alien. Then tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I don't know. It's a Even hard one to explain. I, I, guess the, I guess the nub of it really, Bernard, is we should stop doubting you, you, you because you've done so much. No, I don't think you should stop doubting me. Then I'll lose. <laughs> we'll keep doubting you then listen Bernard Hopkins it's been great to talk to you and best of luck in stop, 2014 don't stop down, please don't stop doubting me the doubters are my biggest supporter <laughs> and that's why I'm here I knew the place Clough as he calls me Rabbi didn't know them he said to me what can you do that the boss hasn't done you the boss and I said I want to win the league but I want to win it better there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've got. We've only, only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Cluff, as he calls me, Ravi. Good luck. Now that may, that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be, might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that. I want to be like me. The executioner was Bernard's nickname. Murph. It seems to be Bernard the Alien Hopkins now. Yeah, so I like I like the Alien. I mean, the the executioner is a is a good nickname, but you mean you got to freshen it up. The Alien's you know? less intimidating. The executioner really is quite an intimidating. Yeah, wrestling style nickname. Whereas the the, the Alien, I don't know, would that intimidate? Does he come in peace? No, he does not. On, I mean, I, you know, the, it basically the promotional material writes itself. 
We're going to be talking Super Bowl on Thursday. Really looking forward to our usual chat with US Murph, who's spending this week. <laughs> he told us last week he's going to, he isn't really looking forward to spending the week on Radio Row because San Francisco aren't playing. But maybe he got over it and is enjoying his time in New York at this stage. And we're going to be talking to Jerry Eisenberg, the great Jerry Eisenberg, one of our favourite all-time contributors, one of the top iconic American sports writers. If you've, if you've seen a, a boxing documentary on ESPN at any stage over the last 10 years, Jerry Eisenberg is almost guaranteed to show up as, you know, as he, as he is now described with his former paper, the uh, Newark Star-Ledger, as a columnist emeritus. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, he's one of the really big figures. Once you get emeritus US in your title, you know you've been around the block you No, know you've retired. You've retired. <laughs> <laughs> still working, Ken. Still, still, still churning it out and, uh, to high quality, too. Looking forward to talking to Jerry Eisenberg on Thursday. Right now, we're going to wrap things up. After reminding you that these Tuesday shows are no more, that's the bad news, the good news is... They're going to be on Monday instead. So we'll get in there quickly after the weekend and get all the, the best reaction that will start next Monday. Both this show that you're listening to right now and Second Captain's Football, the Irish Times, will be on Monday and the two shows as usual on Thursday. Well, they'll say where they are. Great news. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, guys. And thanks very much for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 